Welcome to Morning Devotion with Ken Gurley. Devotions designed to inspire you on your daily walk with God. Here's your host, Ken Gurley. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome, welcome to a great, great day, a great day in the Lord. I'm thankful each and every one of you is here and that hopefully this Wednesday, February 9th, you're finding the presence of the Lord already there in your devotion, in your prayers. What a great subject today. When prophecies fail, a living hope for our day. Mary Beth, you were the first one I saw on this morning. So thank you for being here, Roy and Hope and Jerry. Thank you for your help yesterday, Jerry. Uh, Scott, Wendy, thank you for being here. You know the drill. Follow the page, like the page, share the page, but don't lurk out there. Come on in. Come on in. Nobody bites. No, no backbiters. This is a think group. Amen. We're thinking on what's lovely, true, noble, good report, encouraging one another, edifying one another in the Lord. And just believe that that's our calling. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to encourage one another. Last time I checked, there's not a halo in the bunch out there. No angel's wings, unless they're clipped to your back or something. Everybody's got issues. How about a thumbs up on that? Everybody's got issues. Everybody's got problems. Everybody's facing dilemmas right now. Some more serious than others. We've got, we got some folks that are really going through some trials now. So encourage one another. Let this be a place. And an oasis of encouragement from a very discouraging world. So I do welcome you. Thank you, Kayla, Edith. Thank you, Kim. Thank you for being a part of this. I want to give voice to something today. Oh boy, I may get in trouble with this one, but I couldn't get away from it. Had something totally planned differently. I just want to give voice to something. Maybe it's something we've all been thinking, but we've just not vocalized. Now, I do believe that an unspoken thought can demonstrate wisdom. Yeah, better be thought of as wise than remove your, open your mouth. I, I can't remember the old saying. Yeah, sometimes not saying what we're thinking can sort of be wise. Can I get a witness to that? Uh, because our thoughts may be in error. We may have jumped to some cl- conclusion. And it's the only exercise some of us get. Oh, my, that hurt. Um, and so... Those thoughts may be best not spoken, but an unspoken thought can also be instructive for when your unspoken thought matches my unspoken thought, maybe God's speaking to us and we've not given voice to what God is saying. Maybe that's the case here. Paul said in Titus 2, the grace of God appears to all men teaching us. That's called Theologians say that's prevenient grace, a grace that goes before, in this case, instructing, telling, teaching, talking to us, that God still talks. God may leave an impression on our heart. And I believe this is where that unspoken thought or impression resides today. I'm going to say something in a moment. I hope it'll be instructive. And maybe you've been thinking the same thing. Maybe it's an indication that God has been impressing something on our heart when prophecies fail, a living hope for our day. The phrase when prophecies fail come from the Apostle Paul, you know, in 1 Corinthians 13. He said, love never fails, but whether they be prophecies, they shall 
fail. He's arguing that, of course, now we see in part, we prophesy in part, but one of these days, face to face, we're going to know, we're going to see him, we're going to know as even we are known. Prophecy then, words of knowledge then, words of wisdom then, will no longer be needed. We'll know as we're known, and there's no need, so prophecies will fail or cease. They can be laid aside at that time. They will not, they will fail to be needed anymore. But that phrase, when prophecy fails, has been used for decades. It became the title of one of the early studies in the phenomena of failed prophecies. Oh my, this was pre-World War II. The focus was on a UFO religious group in Chicago called the Seekers. A woman named Dorothy Martin believed that an alien named Clarion was sending her messages saying that a town would be destroyed by a flood on December 21st, 1954. I said pre-World War II, after World War II. Well, it didn't happen. And those studying the event noticed something, that when people believe a false prophecy, rather than abandoning it, they will double down on it. And we've seen enough false prophecy to somewhat jade us in this day. The 2012 Mayan calendar collapse, you remember that ancient calendars ended in, yeah. The 2011 prophecy from Harold Camping on the end of the world, and then in the single digits of this new millennium, one false prophecy after another, the mysterious Nibiru encounter, and then previous to that, Y2K and Heaven's Gate in 1997 and 88. You get the picture. One failed prophecy after another. This past 12 months has been marked by a huge, gargantuan number of false prophecies hand-wringing going on right now, and if you keep up with the literature. So is it any wonder that Paul would say, despise not prophesying? Modern-day prophecy is freighted with presumption. So much of what people say is going to come to pass is what they desire to come to pass. Our fear will come to pass, rooted in self-will, not divine will. I, I, I'm thankful we don't have the same punishment for false prophets Today, as they did in the Old Testament, not be many of us around, I'm afraid. If the ratio of true to false is the same as Ahab's false prophets to uh, the versus Micaiah, the true prophet, so like 401, you're going to hear more false than true. And you get jaded. That's, I think that's why Paul said, despise not prophesying, quench not the spirit. Don't get to the place where you can't trust anything. Paul said, don't, don't discount prophecy. There's some true out there, but it is an issue though, that the number of false prophecies out there are just reaching to titanic proportions. A group of men and women who just make predictions ad nauseum, they don't come to pass, there's zero accountability. They just move forward and their followers just kind of lurch along behind them waiting for the next prophecy that may or may not fail. It creates what sociologists call a cognitive dissonance, that we're mentally holding two contrary opinions. And rather than admit to say, well, I'm just wrong, previous failed prophecies just get ignored or woven into a tapestry of a wider prophecy. But it's not really what I'm talking about when prophecies fail. That's not what I've been thinking about. False prophecies, false prophets, they've been with us a while. They're a sign of the last day. Jesus warned of it. Many false prophets shall arrive and deceive many. 
Paul said the Spirit speaks expressly in the last days. Some are going to turn away from the true faith, following deceptive spirits, teaching from demons. Why are so many people deceived by false prophets? There's a lot of biblical reasons. If you want to plow through them and be discouraged, you can. Uh, Some just go to the heart of the person making the false prophecies. They they are deceived and desire to deceive others, or they're trying to build a following. They're disobedient, sliding into rebellion. Um, Most people who constantly engage in giving false prophecies, I've noticed, have very little accountability in their lives, not submitted to God or godly authority. It's as Jesus said, there's going to be people in the last days who will say, we cast out devils. We did this. We did that. But Jesus said, I never knew you. You were not under the umbrella of authority. True prophets see through a glass darkly, try to make sense of the future. False prophets have their own internal perspective, their lens clouded. And as Jesus said, how great is that darkness? But why are so many deceived by false prophecies? Oh, that goes to the heart of people chasing them. James said, we're, we're deceived. We're drawn away when we're enticed by our own lust. And maybe that's the case. I, I see desperation out there. Are people, people chasing a prophet going hundreds of miles, thousands of miles. They just need a word. They're desperate. They're de- I sympathize with that desperation. But there's another group maybe that James would be comparative to what he discussed, drawn away by their own lies. The Bible calls them the itching ears club, always looking for something new, always wanting something new, easily led astray by their desire for the latest and greatest. But the chief apostle said, we have a more sure word of prophecy. Can I get a witness to that? We need to get lost in this book, his ways, his words. But that's not really what I'm asking you about and want to talk to you about today. When I say when prophecies fail, I want to tell you something that's been on my heart for nearly a year. I wrote it down. I've shared it only with a few. Something that puzzled me. Are you ready for it? I want to see if it bears witness in your heart. Here it is. Why weren't we warned? Yeah, that's been on my heart. That's a question. COVID-19. I could stop there. COVID-19, not COVID-20, not COVID-2021. covid 19 appeared in 2019. And as it slowly marched west, bringing sickness, hysteria, fear, anxiety, and financial collapse, and social distancing, and flattening the curve, and shutdowns, and all of the confusion then just erupted into the riots and the boiling over of tensions and turmoil in the elections and afterwards. And why weren't we warned? That's been on my heart now for a year. I'm not talking about a prophecy. I'm, I, I'm not. I'm talking about the very act of prophecy itself. Why weren't we warned? I'm not talking about a bad prophecy. I'm talking about no prophecy. Why did prophecy fail us? And the verse that comes to mind is Amos 3, 7. Surely the Lord God will do nothing without revealing it to his servants, the prophets. And Amos goes on to say that, The Lord has spoken and who will not prophesy? That God speaks, speaks expressly. That's been my unspoken thought, a question, actually. Why weren't we warned? If this is a once in a lifetime event, if this is a signal, life altering, ground shaking, world changing occurrence, why weren't we warned? 
That's been the unspoken thought just rolling around like a rock and a hubcap in my mind. That's a good visual image, isn't it? My question doesn't rest on bad prophecies. It rests on no prophecies. Why weren't we warned? Why weren't we warned? It just has been on my mind. Now, now, let's notice this. Notice this. Here's the question I've not been asking. I have not been asking myself, why did this happen? No, I've not been asking myself that question because I know we're in the end times. I know we're in the final countdown and dissolution. I know we're in the final world kingdom made of iron, partly broken with clay, and that the feet of clay are exposing themselves, that institutions are crumbling in our lifetimes. We've seen the institution of marriage crumbling. We're seeing families dissolve and fall apart. We've watched citadels of understanding and education crash down. We've seen financial fortresses dissolved, and we have watched the last few weeks as we've watched government leaders and the peace erode, and once sacred things are no longer Yeah, the iron is giving way to the clay and all of it's going to be removed by a rock cut without hands. I've not been asking myself, why has all this happened? Why has all this happened in the past year or so? Why the sickness? Why the pain? I've not been asking myself that. I understand when a people departs from God, they invite chaos. It's the God who, it's God who brings order. It was him that brought order into this dark world. And the absence of God brings disorder. Throwing off God and throwing off his ways, it's going to invite chaos. So my question is not, why is this happening? No, my question is, why weren't we warned? And I've taken it to God in prayer. God, why weren't we warned? Your word says you speak, you warn the prophets and the prophets warn the church. They lift a trumpet to the lips. Why weren't we warned? There was a prophecy, yes, a few years back, a number of years back by David Wilkerson. There was a prophecy of sort, summer of 2019, about trouble ahead and a few other items, but only seen in hindsight. The Spirit speaks expressly, clearly in the last days. We needed something to cut through the chatter, the craziness of our age, appealing sound like a bell, like a trumpet. Yes, yes, I've read the harbinger and yes, that sets the frames and the times, but I still say this pandemic and the ensuing chaos, why weren't we warned? Now I've gone through several hypothetical answers to my question. Follow my reasoning on this and just walk with me on this and consider the ramifications. Maybe God spoke, but no one heard him. Now, that's a possibility. Spirit of God speaks, saying this and that's coming, but we prophets were too busy, too preoccupied. That could happen. We are living in an unusual day, and there's a multitude of voices in the land, the Bible. The cacophonous roar of this world could have drowned out that still small voice of God. That is a possibility. Yeah. But I've noticed something, and maybe you've seen it, that when God speaks to his people in one place, patterns emerge and others are hearing the same voice. I find it hard to believe that God was speaking and none of us heard that voice. I know way too many people that earnestly seek after God with all their hearts. So it's a possibility God spoke and the prophets didn't hear, but I don't think that's a probability. That's one possibility. God spoke, nobody heard him. Here's a second possibility. God spoke, the prophets heard him, but they remained silent. They didn't fulfill their role as an oracle, as a mouthpiece of God. 
That's a possibility too. The Bible speaks of the unfaithful watchman, saw the threat coming, did not raise the trumpet to his lips. Could it happen? Yeah, it could happen. Jeremiah wrote of a time when God spoke to him. He said, I'm not going, I'm not going to say anything. But he said it was like a fire shut up in my bones. I know some awesomely courageous people who would step forward in an uncertain day and proclaim, thus saith the word of the Lord. It's a possibility that the prophets were muzzled, maybe thought no no one would hear. Maybe they thought people only want to hear good news. They only want the prophecies if it says, you know, you will be blessed and uh, win the lottery and so forth. Nothing bad. Maybe they remained silent. But again, I find it hard to reconcile with the people I know who truly possess this gift. So God spoke, no one heard, that's a possibility. God spoke, the prophets heard, but they said nothing. That is another possibility. Here's the third possibility. God spoke, the prophets heard, the prophets spoke, but none of us listened. That probably bears a stronger witness in my spirit because down through the years in the Old and New Testament, we've seen that's the case. Jesus wept over Jerusalem, said, you kill the prophets. That's why we read again and again, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the spirit saith to the church. I would find that of all the scenarios to be more plausible that God was indeed speaking, prophets were indeed listening, and prophets were proclaiming, but maybe we didn't listen to them. But I've gone back through notes and messages. I've scanned articles and periodicals. I've gone back through a year of things, and I don't see that the prophets warned us again and again of what's coming. Maybe here, maybe there, maybe, but not that certain sound that rallies the peoples of God. So what is it? That thought, that unspoken thought that I'm vocalizing, why weren't we warned? The three scenarios that I gave you begins with God speaking. God speaks, no one hears. God speaks, the prophets hear, but don't speak. God speaks, the prophets hear, speak, but nobody listens. But what if, what if there's a fourth possibility? What if God was silent? What if the reason we weren't warned is that God chose not to warn us? Is there Bible for that? Yeah. Do you remember the story of the Shunammite woman in 2 Kings 4? So devout. She cared for Elisha, built the prophet's chamber, prepared a room for him and his servant Gehazi. And God gave her that miracle child. But a few years later, the child had a stroke and she laid him in a prophet's chamber and she went looking for the prophet. She found him on the mountain. She found him on Mount Carmel. She threw herself at the prophet's feet. Gehazi, his servant, tried to push her away, but the man of God said, no, 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 stop, stop, stop. He said, this woman is deeply troubled, but the Lord has hidden it from me. And the Lord's not told me. I want you to stop and think about it. The man who said, this time next year, you will be with child. The woman who was honored with a miracle. That God-given miracle prophesied had died. Elisha had prophesied she would have a child. She experienced that miracle. But Elisha, the prophecy giver, did not know the miracle had died. He said, God hid it from me. God did not tell me. That's been going over in my spirit the last few weeks and months. That God, you knew this was coming. Of course you did. Maybe the issue here is not failed prophecies. 
But God, it's that you chose to give no prophecy. You chose to be silent. But Lord, you chose to hide it from us. When I tell you this aspect of God is not seen once, but many times in scripture, countless are the times that you're going to read. He hid himself. He hid his face. Isaiah said in chapter 45, truly, you are the God who hides himself. God hides. He didn't reveal his plans to Elisha. He didn't share what he was doing. It wasn't a testimony that Elisha was a false prophet or that Elisha couldn't hear from God. God hid it. That's what Elisha said. God hid this from me. When Job asked God to explain himself, why am I going through all I'm going through? I lost my kids. I lost my wealth, my health. God, why, 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 why? Rather than answer him, at the end of the book, God asks Job 77 questions in a row. None of those he could answer. It's in a moment like this, you're forced to face that God's ways, they're not our ways. And his thoughts are not our thoughts. His way is in the sea and his footsteps are unknown. We read that there's a dark cloud surrounding his throne. And sometimes, many times, oftentimes, what God is doing is unseen. It's inscrutable. We don't grasp it. He hides himself from him. But you said, Brother Curtin, this is a living hope for our day. It is. It is. Because when we can't track him, as Brother Tenney used to say, you can trust him. We may not know the way he takes, but he knows the way we take. And we have a sure hope in this day. It's the depiction of the curtains behind me. The writer of Hebrews said this in chapter 6. This hope we have is an anchor of the soul. A hope both sure and reliable. And one which is beyond the veil. And Jesus has gone before us. And will walk beyond that curtain and has become a high priest forever to us. It's beyond the veil. It's beyond the veil, the veil between earth and heaven, the veil between what we're doing and what God's doing, a veil of mystery when we can't see what God is up to, when no word is coming out, when no clear prophecy, when prophecy fails us, we don't hear what's happening, but we can trust him that he's at work beyond the veil of our understanding, that he's interceding, that he's making a way for us. And that is a hope. And the writer of Hebrews says, that hope is the anchor of our soul. One translation says, this hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It's going to lead us through this curtain into God's inner sanctuary. This is what I'm feeling. This is what I'm feeling. That even though There's been no prophecy coming to me. Even though he's hidden himself, any word from heaven has failed to reach our ears. But I'm watching that curtain intently because my hope is beyond that veil. My faith is a rope attached to hope, that anchor. I can count on it. You can count on it. That God's up to something. Why weren't we warned? I, I have come to the conclusion, and, you, and, and, and I may be wrong, and you feel free to disagree with me on this. But I have come to the conclusion that we weren't warned because God chose not to warn us. Because God's doing something that we don't quite understand. 
that he is allowing this to happen, that something might be revealed in us, that we are in the refining process. We are being purified. We're being strengthened. The dross of doubt and carnality are being melted away right now. And God is preparing us to step forth as pure and sparkling gold. So here's what I would say to each of you. Hold on. Hold on to hope's anchor. When the prophecies aren't coming or the prophecies don't make sense and don't bear witness to your spirit, understand what I'm saying to you. We are living in a season that God has chosen to hide himself, that all of the institutions and all of the things that we normally lean on are crumbling and falling aside so that our faith will be in what's beyond the veil and what God is doing for us right now. I feel that with all of my heart. And I'm telling you today, we've got a hope and it's the anchor of our soul. And I'm looking to the Lord who is my hope, my help, my strength. And he's going to see me through and he's going to see you through. And he's going to walk us through this time. I don't know, I was in prayer this morning and I don't know, that imagery of a a drape and of a curtain and uh, that God was working. It was just like this curtain you see behind me. It was like a breeze blew. And I saw the bottom, the hem of the curtain just kind of kick up a little bit. That God is up to something. That's my hope. That's my firm expectation. My hope does not rest in the word of a prophet. My hope rest in a priest after the order of Melchizedek, who's at work behind the drapes and beyond the veil to make things happen. My hope is in him. Oh, praise God. Thank you for being a part of this. Kirk and Brenda, thank you. Nancy, Cindy, thank you for being a part of it. Brenda, thank you for sending me that about Lucy Farrow. What a great testimony. And thank each and all of you for being a part of this. I want you to share this with others. Loop more into our group. Let's see this thing through together and see what God can do for us. God bless you. Until tomorrow, by His grace. Thank you for listening to Morning Devotion with Ken Gurley. Join us next time for another inspiring devotion. To support this ministry, please visit firstchurch.com forward slash give.